0: Good morning. As we were singing the last song, Holy, 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 which I, I just love that song, um, it, may, it occurred to me that, you know, the book of Revelation gives us a picture of um, what's going on in heaven and there are angels and there are elders and there are living creatures that are around the throne, worshiping the one who's seated on the throne and worshiping the lamb who is Jesus. And they're the ones that fall down and cast their crowns down and, and sing this perpetual song of God's holiness and of his greatness. And it just occurred to me that they're the ones that see clearly. I mean, they, they are there. And uh, as we see more and more clearly the glory of Christ and the goodness of God, we will also be singers. And we will exalt the Lord. And we won't get tired of it. I mean, our voice may grow weak, um, but we will not grow weary in doing it. And so my, my hope this morning is that this message would be used by God to bring us there a bit closer, a bit more, so we see who Christ is, His greatness, His beauty, His glory, His love, His goodness, His holiness, and we'd be drawn to Him and uh, meet Him and, and see Him to be a powerful Savior So we come to the end of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians chapters 4 to 6 for, gosh, the last four or five months. And uh, the question we asked at the beginning of this series of messages was, in light of the salvation we've received from Jesus Christ as a free gift, how should we now live? How should we live now? We've covered a lot of very practical things. We should forgive. We should watch the way that we speak. We should, um, we should live wisely toward outsiders. Lots of different things we talked about. And now we come to the very last verse. And these are the final words of Paul to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians. And these last words start with this, grace be with all. Grace be with all. The idea here is that grace is going with. It's this grace that keeps coming. Grace be with all. These kinds of words are not uncommon for Paul to close out his books with. In fact, almost every letter that he writes, he has final greetings and then usually ends with some kind of benediction or blessing. For instance, at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. At the end of Galatians, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. At the end of Philippians, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And at the end of Colossians, almost the same thing. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He wants them to know, I'm writing this to you. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace is God's undeserved, total, complete favor and blessing. And Paul is saying, grace be with all. The interesting thing is that here in Ephesians, this closing is just a bit different. It has a qualification. It adds a qualification. It doesn't just end it with grace to you all, period. But it ends with grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love Jesus I asked myself this question question this week: Why does he end that way? Why does he Why does he end with this qualification? Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know for sure, but I do find it interesting that about thirty years after these words were written by Paul, the Apostle John was recording words from Jesus in Revelation chapter two, and he's recording words for the seven churches. The first one Jesus addresses is the church of Ephesus. And Mark alluded to this when he was up here just a few moments ago. And Jesus had a lot to commend the church at Ephesus for when Jesus spoke to them in Revelation 2. 30 years after Paul wrote this, he said, you love truth. There are false teachers that come in and you have none of it. You can sniff them out really quick. But he says, I do have this one thing against you you have abandoned the love you had at first. Or I think the NIV says, you have abandoned your first love. You have left your first love. Love for the Lord Jesus Christ is not a minor issue. It's not for more emotional types, right? And the rest of us just think good thoughts about Jesus and believe right things. Our faith is meant to lead us into a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The last conversation Jesus had with Peter, he asked him the same question three times. He reworded it just a little bit. You remember the question Jesus asked Peter three times? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I think the Lord through this, these two verses, really, we're just going to focus on the last verse today, wants to address us and ask each one of us, do you love me? This is not a small thing, because grace is with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, when it, when we boil it all down, the Christian life is all about loving God, loving Christ, and everything that flows from loving him, right? The great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Moses is addressing the people of Israel, and he says, behold, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, there's one God. He goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Jesus repeats this in Luke chapter 10 when a lawyer comes up to him. And the lawyer asks him a very significant question. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with an equally serious response. That's a serious question, right? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus responded by saying, you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. For the child of God, love for Jesus comes naturally. Our intensity for Christ, our feeling of love for Jesus may ebb and flow, and it does at times, but our love for Jesus, for children of God, it comes naturally. It doesn't have to be coerced. It doesn't have to be manipulated. You don't have to pry it out of somebody. In fact, you can't do that, right? You can't pry genuine love out of somebody. But it comes naturally. Jesus said these words in John eight forty two: If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. He says, I am standing before you. If God were really your father, you would love me, Jesus says. If God is your father, love for Jesus comes naturally. Think of how natural it is for a newborn baby to love her mother, a newborn daughter to love her mother. That's the most natural thing in the world. Right? The baby comes out of mom, and who does she want? She wants mom, right? all the time. Right? If you have children, you, m- mothers, you know this. right? When they're very young, all they want is mother. For children of God, love for Christ comes natural. Not only is love for Jesus the most important thing. Not only is that what the Christian life really is all about, and not only is, does it come naturally for, for God's children, but it is also something that is necessary. It's not, it's not an option. I mean, it's not an optional, like, uh, like an optional class, like some people love, some Christians love Jesus and some really don't. There is no Christian who doesn't love Jesus. It's necessary to have no love for Jesus is to be lost. It's to not be saved. 1 Corinthians 16:22 says, "If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed." That's serious. Right, I, I'm like, Paul puts this qualification in here. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing so much more this week as I've thought through this. Grace be with all who love Jesus, who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without this love, there is no grace. Grace is not coming to us. All the eternal blessings of heaven are promised for those who love Christ. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says... Um, Oh, let me turn there real quick. He says, um, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only for me, but also for all who have loved his appearing. These words are echoed by the Apostle James. It's not just Paul who says this. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. So this is serious. Our verse this morning makes clear, makes this clear by saying that for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, grace is, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, will be with them today and tomorrow and next year and 10 years from now and on your deathbed and on into eternity. Grace will be with you, with all who love the Lord Jesus. If grace is not with us though, what is with us? Well, if we're not receiving grace from God, then we stand under his judgment. So loving Jesus is not a secondary Issue. It's a primary issue. Now our text describes this love for us. This verse describes this love for us. It's not up for you. and It's not, um, you and I are not left defining this love for ourselves. Paul adds the adjective incorruptible. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The word incorruptible is a compound word. It's a Greek word, aphtharsia. doesn't matter what the Greek word, I, I suppose, is. But it basically describes something that will not be destroyed by one, time, and by two, corruption. So this incorruptible love is not destroyed by time, and it's not destroyed by corruption or by sin. Let's just take a look at these for a moment, uh, one at a time. This love for Jesus that we are to have, you and I are to have, for grace to be with us, will not be destroyed by time. It will go on forever and ever. Time will not destroy it. This word that's here translated incorruptible is translated in 1 Corinthians 15 about four times imperishable. So it's something that does not perish. In fact, the NIV translates this verse, Ephesians 6, 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, with a love that does not die, with a love that goes on and on. So this love for Jesus is not an infatuation, right? Like when you're in junior high and you kind of are infatuated with somebody and you think they're cute and want to meet them, but then it's over two weeks later. It's not like that. It's not a one-night stand. It is a love for Christ that is consistent, that is imperishable, that goes on and on forever and ever. I think of the parable of the sower as a way to help us understand this. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a sower or someone who goes out and sows seed into a field. And the second place he sows seed is on rocky ground. And because there's not much soil, the plant sprouts up really fast, but then the sea, or excuse me, the sun scorches that plant and it withers and dies. Jesus explains that this is like someone who receives the word. And responds with great enthusiasm. But when difficulties and trials and maybe persecution arises, they fall away. The third place that seed is sown is it's, it's sown among thorns. And again, this, the seed is sown and the plant grows, but the thorns and the weeds choke it out. And so it doesn't bear much fruit. And Jesus describes this as seed that's sown... Or this, he describes this as someone who's carried away with the desire to be rich and the love of the world and the desire for other things. And so our love can, can be short-lived for Christ and then fall away, but that's not the love being described here by Paul. We don't want to be like that. We want to be like Paul who said, to die and be with the Lord is far better than anything I could attain in this world and even any difficulty I might go through, go through in this life because we love him and our love will continue and increase until the day that we see him. So this love is not destroyed by time. It goes on forever forever. And this love is also not destroyed by corruption. So in in the context of this verse, it's talking about a sincere love. In fact, the New King James translation, uh, that's how it translates translates it. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Uh, John Gill was an 18th century pastor in England. And um, he he said this verse refers to believers who prove to be, quote, Sincere and hearty lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sincere and hearty lovers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here is talking about a love that's more than just words. Hopefully it shows itself or it comes out in words, but it's more than just words. It's something that goes deeper than that. It's more than just an intellectual commitment to Jesus. It's more than that. It is a matter of the heart. And I think that's why Paul here, here in, the, here in this verse, put love instead of believe. We might often think that, think that Paul, because Paul's like the apostle that talks about being justified by faith and being children of God through faith, believing in Christ, we might think that he would put grace be with all who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, but he puts love Because God cares about what's going on in the heart. And right faith and right belief leads to love for Christ. A sincere love for Jesus has a... Really, it has kind of a fierce loyalty to it. An allegiance to it. And Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 10, verse 37. He says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He could put, you could put, um, you could put wife or husband. You could put any person there. Whoever loves anyone or anything more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. This is simply pointing out that Jesus is supremely worthy of our affection. Jesus is supremely worthy of our worship and our love and our affection. So wives, you would be right to say to your husband, if, if you love your car or your job or your hobby or another woman more than me, you're not worthy of me, right? That'd be a true statement. Jesus is infinitely worthy of our love. So go back to a question I asked earlier. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ from the heart? Do you love to worship him? Do you admire Jesus? Do you admire him more than you admire other people? Do you enjoy his ways more than the ways of the world? That's what it means to love him. Do you desire his approval more than the approval of others? Do you want to be with him more than you want to be with anyone else? Do you love his glory more than your own? Love is something that goes on inside of us, right? It's not something that that we can see with our physical eyes, but we can see its effects. So this love incorruptible, though we may not be able to see with my eyes, I can't see into your heart, you can't see into mine and see this gauge of love, right? We can't see that. But we can see the effects of love for Jesus. There are evidences of love for Jesus. So what are some evidences of an undying and sincere love for Christ? Well, right off the bat, it is not not something that is perfect right now. We're going to talk about this more later, but it's not something that is like we've arrived And we never falter and we never stumble and we never fall short. We do fall short. We fall short daily. But here's some things. Here's some evidences of an undying love and a sincere love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one. You obey his commands. You obey his commands. Jesus said this in John 14. If you love me you will keep my commandments. He says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We can't earn salvation, period. But someone who has come into relationship with Jesus, Jesus is saying it will show itself. Your love for me will show by Your obedience to my commands. Now, when we talk about this, it might sound like, okay, does that mean like perfect obedience? No, it does not mean perfect obedience. We're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about a direction in our life. Is our life aimed in the direction of obedience to Jesus? Or quite frankly, is it aimed in the direction of doing what we want? It's evidence of love for Christ or of no love for Christ. Not perfection, but direction, obedience to his commands. Here's another evidence that you keep his word. Similar, but I think a little different. John fourteen twenty three and 24, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So I don't think it's quite the same as obeying Jesus. The word keep means to attend to carefully, to take care of, and to guard. So Jesus has spoken to us, and and those who love him, they keep his word, they hold on to it, they attend to it, they listen to it, they take care of it, they guard it. I mean, think about what we, what Christians believe. They believe that God came down from heaven to a world that was in rebellion to him, put on flesh, put on skin like you and me, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, the most excruciating, embarrassing death on earth, Received the penalty for your sins and my sins. And then rose and ascended to heaven. And he pours out grace upon all who will come to him. In simple faith and submit to him as Lord. Why wouldn't we? Honestly. In love for him. Why wouldn't we? Care about what he says. And keep his word and listen to what he says. And attend to what he says. This is God. Loving the words of Jesus and being devoted to the words of Christ I think is what he's getting at in John 14, 23 and 24. Again, it's not perfection but it is a direction in our lives. Are are we in the direction of we, we want to know what Jesus has said. We want to keep his words. We want to guard them. We want to hide them in our hearts. Here's another evidence. You have... Here's another evidence that you love Christ. You have a special love for believers. You have a special love for believers. We're going to get to love for for all people, but you have a special love for believers. For brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus when he's speaking with Peter and he asks him this question three times, and, and Peter, he asks him, Do you love me, Peter? And Peter responds, Yes, I love you. And Jesus would respond by saying, Feed my sheep. The second time, tend my lambs. The third time, feed my sheep. In other words, he's saying, Care for my people then. Love my people. Do you love Jesus? It will show by growing and increasing love for his people. Special love for his people. Honestly, the entire book of First John. Um, testifies to this over and over again. Whoever says they love God must also love their brother. <clears throat> Can't be any other way. That's. The direction it takes us in. A special love for believers. Here's another evidence. You have a general love for all people. A general love and a general concern for all people. Uh, Jesus um, was approached by a lawyer, an expert in the the law. I I referenced this earlier. Who came to him and said, um, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded by saying, you need to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And this lawyer, being probably somewhat clever and maybe somewhat convicted, said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus went into the story that we know very famously as the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? And uh, the, the moral of the story is, I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's certainly a sense where it points to Christ and what he's done for us. But there's another part, of, there's another um, um, application of that story that at the end of the day, who is our neighbor? Everyone. Everyone's our neighbor. Caring for, having compassion for, loving all people, come comes from loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here's another evidence. You want the Lord to come again. You want him to come again. You you want Jesus to come. And it's not mainly an escape thing, like get me out of this. Hellhole or whatever, okay? Not mainly that. It is because you want to be with him. 1 Corinthians 16, right here, The first part of this verse I quoted earlier, but I didn't quote the second part. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then it says, Our Lord come. In other words... Paul is saying, I do have love for the Lord and I want him to come. We sing songs about Jesus being the bridegroom and us being the bride. and He's going to come and it's going to be like this amazing wedding celebration, just in the celebratory festive atmosphere when he comes. And do we want that? Do we want him to come? It's evidence that we have a love for Christ. And I I I just need to be honest that this is one that I struggle with, not because I don't want him to come, but I just get so caught up sometimes in the world and in the comforts of my life and what I love here that I don't really think a lot about Jesus coming again. But I want to more. I want to more. And here's another evidence that you love christ with a love that's incorruptible his his love for you <clears throat> moves you in your heart his love for you moves you i think of paul where he says in second corinthians 5 paul said the love of christ controls me because I've concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. First John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love is this that we would be called children of God? You can just feel the emotion in John as he says these words. What kind of love is this? When you think of the love of Christ for you, does it do anything? Does it move your heart? Does it move you to want to worship? Does it move you to want to live for Him? That's evidence that you love Him. Even sometimes when it's weak, and it is weak sometimes, but it stirs up something deep within. The songs that move me the most that we sing together, worship's not all about singing. But it is about singing and the songs that move me the most are those which are rich in content about Jesus, what he's done for us, and the salvation we have in him. And when I'm singing these songs, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does often. I am moved, sometimes a tear, just I love him. And however weak my love may be at times, in those moments, I know that it's not dead and it's not fake. It's alive and it's real because the Spirit of God is on it and He's stirring up deep affections for Christ in my heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are these evidences? Some or all of them growing in your life. A desire to obey him. You want to keep his word. His love for you stirs your heart and you just, you want to worship him. You want to live for him. You want to, you just want to, you just want to honor him with your life. You want him to come again. In some measure, you want him to come again. You love the brothers. You look around, you say, these are my people. And you love your neighbor. This word incorruptible. (laughs) Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible. I think it's meant to stir us that we want to do this. And also I think it's meant to lead us to the place where we realize, oh my goodness, I need help. Incorruptible love, an undying love, I'm finite. Incorruptible love, a love that is sincere and free from corruption, I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with temptation. You and I are not able to produce this kind of love. We can't just make it happen. We can't just go to our factory or go into our garage or something. You handy guys have like a garage or something, Gary park, you know, or I mean, just, you can't just make this, right? We can't make a machine that pumps this into us. We can't make it happen. God must do something in us. He must produce this love in us and he must also enable us To keep loving him tomorrow and the next day and next year and 10 years from now and 50 years from now if I'm still alive. How do I know I'm going to love the Lord 10 years from now and not slide off into the deep end? Because that's exactly what God does. He produces this in his people. And we know we have it when there's this increasing, these increasing evidences in our lives Earlier in the book of Paul, uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul prays for the people of for these people that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Paul prays this because he wants them to be enabled to love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. We've been going through Ephesians four to six, which is chock full of all this practical teaching on how we live the Christian life. But right before we get to that, right before we get to chapter 4, is this prayer from Paul. And I want to read it. Because this is what God wants to do this morning in our lives. Is for his people. He wants to fill us with his love that empowers us and enables us to love Jesus and show it in glorious ways by the way that we live. Ephesians 3 14 to 19, here's what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell there in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when we know the love of Christ, we are filled to the measure of the fullness of God, which I think is just a reference to being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the love of Christ, you are full of the Spirit, which changes us so we love Christ with an incorruptible love and this manifests itself in obedience to Christ, in keeping his word, in love for others, in worship of Jesus. God wants to cause us to overflow with his love. I love this how it says... Paul prays that they'd be strengthened in their hearts so that Christ may dwell there, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. It's almost like Paul is praying that they need Christ dwelling there to contain all of the love he wants to pour out upon them. That we'd be filled up to the measure of the fullness of God. In Romans chapter five, Paul says the love of God has been shed abroad or literally poured out Dumped out, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. I find it interesting that Paul is talking to the people of Ephesian, the, the, the Ephesian people. They know about the gospel. They know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They know that he rose again. They know that they have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And yet he prays this prayer for them. That they would know in an overwhelming way the love of Christ for them. So I ask you again, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Has God put that in you? Have you ever felt, or maybe this morning, do you feel like your love for Jesus is waning or is on the decline? It's that, that passion you once had for Jesus is not there In Revelation 2, I read, read some of this earlier. The Apostle John is talking to the same church, the people of Ephesus. He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. That love you had at first, it's not there anymore. It's gone. That passion, that that, that affection you once had is gone. Listen to the remedy that Jesus gives to these people. He says, remember Therefore, from where you've fallen, remember where you've fallen from. Remember that love you once had and you've fallen from this high place of being in love with Jesus. Remember from where you've fallen and then repent. And then return to the things you did at first. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? with a love that is incorruptible. Paul says, grace upon grace upon grace be with you now and next year and 10 years from now and 20 years from now and on your deathbed and on into eternity. I want to ask you to do one thing this next week and you can do it beyond this next week. That'd be even better. But would you take Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 19 and pray them for yourself and pray them for our church. Pray them for yourself that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you'd be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Pray that you would know that and pray that we as a church would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, that God would so fill us with his love, that love back to him is flowing out of us and, and it's showing itself by the evidence as we've talked about. Would you do that this week? Take five minutes, 10 minutes in the morning, pray this prayer for yourself and for our church expecting God to answer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. Jesus, I love you. If you love Jesus, it's more than words. Just tell him you love him. Jesus, we love you today. You have... How could we not love you? You've opened up our eyes to see your glory. You came, you died in our place for our sins, bearing the judgment and the shame and the guilt we the judgment we deserve, the shame and the guilt that, that was ours, you took it upon yourself. And that was the, the clearest and most precious demonstration of your love. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with a sense and a knowledge of Christ's love, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit today who pours into our hearts the love of Christ. And I pray that we'd be a church, a people known by our love for Jesus and that it would show so clearly the way that we love each other and the way that we are following after Christ and the way that we are loyal to Jesus in every area of life. God, thank you for this, your word. Thank you, God, for this verse, this obscure verse at the end of Ephesians that just causes us to pause for a bit and think through these things. I pray that you would seal your word upon our hearts now. And that it would have the impact you want it to have on us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.